Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace, calling North America to repentance and revival. Folks, I'm going to play for you a program that I recorded about three years ago, and we're going to be doing this over the next three days, and it's entitled, The Error of Just Preaching the Love of God. Now, the love of God is important. We're to preach the whole counsel of God's Word, though, and when we present Jesus as a genie to people that, oh, he loves everybody and you can live any way you want and God's still going to love you. And people don't understand really the seriousness of their sins and their fault and their wrongdoing that they are deserving of God's wrath for their sin. If people don't understand that, they're going to just accept the, you know, I'll take, I'll take the goodness. I'll take all that. Uh, the love of God, and I can do anything I want, and and whatever, and they really don't understand salvation. And there are a lot of people out there that are in this boat. And the Bible says, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we prophesied in thy name, done all these things. And God will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And so I hope you'll listen today and over the next few days as we get into how to properly explain the gospel. And maybe you need to hear this for yourself. Before we get into it, let me quickly remind you that we're in a year-end fundraising campaign. We're still quite a ways away from our $15,000 goal. Maybe you'll feel led to join us and help us reach our goal. You can do that by giving us a call today. The number is 800-616-0082. That's 800-616-0082. Or you can give by check. Please give us a call. We'll be glad to give you our address. Let us know what you'll be sending. That way we can uh, know where we're at. Or you can give safely, securely online at our website, fortressoffaith.com. Let's join now the pre-recordings that we did earlier. Here we go. But they are entering with their self-righteousness, with their good deeds, and they believe they're going to earn God's favor by being a good person, that they haven't offended God with their sin. They're not deserving of God's wrath. And I, and I don't want to continue on this discussion this week. And let me remind you of some quotes that I shared with you yesterday. It was soundly preached in times past of the necessity of bringing people to the horrible recognition of their state before God, making them to be aware of how serious their condition is. Let me, let me put it this way, folks. If you go to the doctor, you don't want him to sugarcoat the danger that you're in. If you have a serious condition, you would want him to clearly explain how bad your situation is, but also, too, what the remedy is. But first, before we get into the remedy, you've got to understand the problem. John Wesley said, before I can preach love, joy, and peace, I must preach death, sin, and judgment. He exhorted the preachers of the gospel to preach 90% the law and 10% the grace. Spend your time explaining to the lost their sin. Help them to realize that there's no hope for them with their self-righteousness that their righteousness are as filthy rags before God. They're not a good person. They are deserving of God's wrath and God's judgment. But the good news is Jesus has a remedy for their sinful condition. 
but until they fully understand their sinful condition. Now, folks, you know, if, if I go to a doctor and a doctor says, well, Tom, uh, you, you got cancer, but and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, cut you from here to here and we're going to rip your, you know, sternum open there and we're going to get down in there and we're going to do this, that and the other and all this kind of stuff. And you have about a, you know, a 40 percent chance here and stuff like that. Now, you know, folks, it, it, if he's getting right into all that, I'm going to say, hold on a minute. I want a second opinion. But if he takes his time and say, listen, we've run this test, we've run this test, we've run this test, I've consulted with this doctor and, and this doctor, and we've run these other tests, and here, take a look at this. Here's the evidence. Here's the situation. The fact is, you've got a problem, but the good news is we can fix it. Man, you don't have to spend much time convincing me of how you're going to fix it if you spent your time adequately enough to explain to me how bad of a situation I'm in, because if I don't, you know, take the fix, then I'm in trouble. You understand what I'm saying, folks? Charles Finney understood this. And he said, evermore, the law must prepare the way for the gospel. To overlook this in instructing souls is almost certain to result in false hope. And get this, and the introduction of a false standard of Christian experience and to fill the church with false converts. Time will make this plain. Martin Luther said, If you do not use the law in gospel proclamation, you will fill the church with false converts. This is why in Matthew chapter 7, we come to these hard uh, verses, but nevertheless, the truth is there. Not everyone, verse 21, Matthew 7, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And sadly, verse 23, then I'll say unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. You know, many, look at the quantity of the people here. We're dealing with many. Chapter 7 is a chapter of dichotomies, of paradoxes. First, it begins with a speck of dust uh, in a person's eye, comparing it to a beam in another person's eye. A comparison of bread with stones, sheep with wolves, a wide gate and a narrow gate, a wide road, a narrow road. Good fruit, bad fruit, rock, sand. A wise man, a foolish man, a chapter of dichotomies. But I want to draw your attention to verse number 13, because here I think is the solution of what causes a person to become a false convert. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter ye at the straight gate. By the way, if you pay attention to the spelling of that word, it's not straight like a straight line or walk in a straight line. It's a nautical term. Uh, it's where the passage narrows. It's a narrow gate. We use this in nautical language, the Bering Straits, you know, where Russia and Alaska, the continents narrow that waterway up there, 51 miles apart from each other. The Straits of Dover, separating England and France by 20 miles, where Calais and Dover is at. The Straits of Gibraltar, there in the Mediterranean, where the continents of Europe and Africa are just nine miles apart. 
but the mass of that Mediterranean Sea entering into the Pacific, the Straits of Hormuz and so on there. The strait means a narrowing passage. And the Bible says, Enter ye in at the strait gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrows the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So we have two different gates, a narrow gate, a wide gate. We have two different destinations. We've got life, which is heaven. Then we've got destruction, which is hell. Uh, but we've got two different quantities. We've got many and few. It's many that go in at the wide gate, which leads to destruction, but few enter in at the narrow gate, which leads unto life. Do you suppose that the person who operates the wide gate, uh, who do you think benefits from that? It would be the devil, of course. He hates man because we're created in the image of, of Christ, of God, and he wants us to be destroyed, and he's going to lie. The Bible tells us that he's a deceiver. Of course, uh, who do you think operates the wide gate? Well, it would be the devil. Do you suppose he has a sign there that says, uh, hey, enter this way and you'll find destruction. You're going to find hell this way. Certainly not. He's a deceiver, the Bible tells us. He's the father of lies. And uh, he's not going to put this way to hell. He's going to say, this is the way to heaven. You don't have to be narrow-minded and, and give up your good works and your sin and all these things. No, come my way. It's more enjoyable. Our church, our worship, is more fun. You don't have to be, you know, like those uh, holy Joes over there, those Bible thumpers. You can come and have a good time with us. And many enter in at that wide gate. That gate also has many different religions represented there. Today, 1.7 billion Muslims are following the lie of the devil. And they're entering a gate that they think is going to lead them into life, but it doesn't get them there. There are many under the name of Christianity who are trying to earn their salvation, who think that they're good people, that they don't have to really repent and humble themselves. They'll enter in at that wide gate, thinking it leads to life, but it doesn't get them there, my friends. There's an interesting parallel passage to this same message that Jesus gave. It's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 13 and verse 24, and here he has something very interesting. He says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now, I can hear already some of our friends who are Reformed doctrine, who believe in some are chosen to be elect and some are chosen to be damned, I guess, which I don't see that as a biblical teaching, my friends. Um, You know, the the Lord is not willing that any should perish. And if man can, uh, you know, resist the will of God, then why do we have in the passage uh, where where Jesus, all Jerusalem, how I would have gathered thee as, as chicks, I would have gathered thee, but ye would not. So you can resist God's will. And so here we say, you know, I know they're going to say, well, these are, that's the, the elect, they can enter in, but those who are not elect cannot. No, let me tell you why you must strive. To strive to enter in at the narrow gate means 
you have to admit and humble yourself of your wretchedness. You have to confess to God that you are deserving of God's wrath. You are not a good person. Now, how many times? Uh, I shared this recently, how when I started changing some of the questions I was doing in my soul winning, when I started presenting the law and asking them, have you broken God's Ten Commandments? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? What are you called if you tell lies? If you ever had an impure thought of lust and, and, uh, and, and all these things, you know, what if you had just one a day? 365 days out of the year and you, you know most people you know I may be talking to are at least uh, 20 years of age adults and so on there so thousands and thousands of of sins that they have no doubt committed and they're going to answer to God for this and you ask them if God were to judge you according to the Ten Commandments would he find you guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments and they say yes I admit I, yeah he would find me guilty so if God finds you guilty of breaking the Ten Commandments would he send you to hell or would he let you into heaven? Of the many that I had asked that question to, if God finds you guilty, would he throw you into hell or would he let you into heaven? Most people, almost 99% of them will tell me, oh, he won't throw me to hell. Those weren't sins. Those were mistakes. You see, folks, we have to make people understand how wretched their sin is before God. That's why we preach on judgment, on the law. And not on the love of God yet, because most people don't thoroughly understand how serious their sin is before God. Well, the clock tells me we're out of time. Thank you for being with us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow.